I'm Dr. Scott Lyons, and you're watching or listening to The Gently Used Human. What if we were to play a game of hide-and-seek with ourself, or pin the tail on the authentic you? What if in the adventure of finding out exactly who you are, you have to get completely lost in the process? All the while dancing with the inevitable existential truths of death, isolation, and meaninglessness while just trying to get to work on time. Joining me today is Sarah Kubrick, an existential psychotherapist whose life story is as compelling and deep as the topics we're about to dive into. Sarah not only brings her extensive professional knowledge, but also a wealth of personal experiences having lived through wars and navigated complex relationships, which have shaped her exploration into the existential threads of our being. Come venture with Sarah and I as we explore the tension between living life and performing it, taking responsibility and finding freedom, and unearthing the interplay of truth, resistance, and the mystery of the self. We get to ask the questions, what is authenticity? Whose authenticity is it, and does it require peeling off layer after layer of protective self-preservation, or is authenticity just an unbridled barrel streaking through the streets of existence kind of thing? Let's find out together. Sarah Kubrick is an existential psychotherapist, consultant, writer, and columnist for USA Today. She is passionate about helping people seek change and live authentic, free, and meaningful lives. Her interest in psychology stems from her personal experiencing living through wars, navigating complex relationships, and continuously learning what it means to be human. Let's get this party started. The human thing is really hard. That's how we should start this show. I mean, being human is just hard. Being human's the worst. It's just kind of the worst sometimes. (laughs) What would you be if you didn't have to be human? Or maybe you're not human. I don't want to make assumptions. <laughs> you don't want to limit me. I don't want to limit you. What would I be? Yeah. This is a great question. Oh, well, thanks. <laughs> I'd be energy. Oh, come on. <laughs> what? Come on. <laughs> you are energy. <laughs> I am energy. Just... <laughs> Dump the human form and keep on going. Less container, just energy. Just energy. I mean, I have a few friends who are like quantum physicists who would mm. who would say you're already there. Wow. You have gotten there. I've gotten Congratulations. There. You are energy. Thank you. Yeah. See? <laughs> Do you want a, a different answer now? Did I ruin that? <laughs> no, that was such a good answer. Okay, thanks. I mean, I would also accept it unicorn. Oh, I would. I was thinking rock, so I was not. <laughs> I went Wait. from rock to energy. <laughs> what was that movie where someone was like they became a rock? Is that everything, anywhere, all at once? Oh, I haven't actually watched that movie. It's been recommended to me. Should a lot, we watch it so together? I, we should watch it together. 100%. We should watch it. Okay. I will say that I did watch it with my mom, who just kept saying every ten minutes, "Is it over yet?" <laughs> Is this the ending? She wasn't like upset with the movie. She was just confused, mm, which mm-hmm. which leads us into the topic of existentialism. Love that. Wow. <laughs> smooth. <Just> smooth. <laughs> yeah. You really did that like a pro. <laughs> yeah. 
you're an existential psychotherapist. Yes. And so like, I think that's a less common term. So I wanted to start with a quote that I found about existentialism. And then I, oh. and then I thought we could deconstruct it from there. I love that. Okay, mm. I'm ready. Okay. This is the quote I found last night at four in the morning. All right. <laughs> Explaining to a child that we're mortal and that death is inescapable is probably for me the hardest part of being a party clown. <laughs> what? what? Wh whose quote is this? Unknown. Anonymous. <laughs> it's anonymous. But when I looked up existential quotes, that is what I found. And I was like, you know what? That's some deep shit. Yeah, I was expecting like Sartre or like Heidegger or Kierkegaard. But no, we got an anonymous clown. We got an anonymous clown. Which <laughs> That's... Which I think is actually apropos. Like, I, there's something that just feels right about that as opposed to... Mm -hmm. I agree. <laughs> so, where should we begin? I'm just like sitting... <laughs> That's a great title for a book, too. Where and should we begin? Where mm -hmm. should we begin? Mm -hmm. What is... We'll go into what is existential therapy, but like, how would you deconstruct existentialism? Yeah, so I think... In the rawest form, it's just a philosophy or a framework talking about the human condition, right? Like it, it really is. And when you when you step into like the existential psychotherapy, it's a question I get a lot. And it's like what people don't always understand is that therapists have like a lens, a framework, a theory through which they practice. They're like, how is existential therapy different than normal therapy? And it's like, well, that's not that's not quite how that works because there is no such thing as normal therapy. It's like every therapy has a different name and a different origin, right? And so all that this means is that the way I function as a clinician is I understand suffering and pain and construct kind of my my pathway towards healing with my client through an existential lens. And the themes that we look at a lot are responsibility, authenticity, death, isolation, meaninglessness. So really exciting stuff. Really fun shit. Like yeah. on the daily, super fun stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm a very happy person considering. I can't wait <laughs> so, to hang out with you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I have a dark sense of humor, but it's okay. Have you ever seen the movie Delicatessen? No. Oh, that's on our movie list. That okay, is like we're having movie nights. That is like the quintessential existential dark humor movie of all time. I can't wait. Okay. It's also French. So there you have it. I mean, of course. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think what I appreciate so much about your work and the existential lens is the normalization of the human experience. Mm. It's not just like, hey, let's get happy or like, let's mm. solve that. It's like, let's meet the truth of what it is to be here and be alive. Yeah. That was more eloquent than how I described it. But yeah, that's exactly what I was like, okay, hey, next time I'm going to invite you on my podcast. And you're like, can you explain what I do, please? No, but I, I think it's just more fun. Like when I see prescriptive things, I'm not interested. And yeah. I understand how helpful it is to be like, here are five steps to deal with this. And I yeah. think that that's great. And we all need it. But for me, I think humanity happens in the messy, in the gray, in the chaos, in the undefined. And I think whenever I'm not in the mess, it just doesn't feel as authentic or as real to me. And I like grasping reality. And what that means is also like the suffering that comes with it. Yeah. I mean, it just, it's like when you lean into truth, when you lean into what's actually here, as opposed to trying to change 
the reality of of nature. Yeah. Yeah, it's like I'm not going to go punch a lightning storm in the face and expect it to be anything else but what it is. Just Absolutely. because it ruined my picnic. <laughs> <laughs> totally. I think people just have a contentious or or difficult relationship with the truth. And I think the oh. reason for that is well, yeah, and I and I think part of the reason is when we see the truth, we see it asking for change oftentimes. Mm. And so many of us are not willing or ready or capable of that change. And I think when you look at your truth of who you really are, what your relationships are really like, of the absurdity of life, meaninglessness of life, I think that's really difficult because the next question is, now what? And I think so many of us don't want to sit with the now what because then the responsibility is on us. And so I think truth is a hard, it's a hard place for many of us. Yeah. The question that comes to mind is like, can you make contact with yourself? Can you make contact with what's here without enforcing or coming up with what needs to change? Mm, just sitting with it. And yeah, and yeah. I think that that's fantastic because sometimes it's nothing has to change. <laughs> and I think, you know, just accepting the truth for what it is, is a difficult task of its own. But how often realistically? Yeah. Should we not implement any change? I mean, I really well, like that philosophical thought, but I'm like, what are the chances that you're like, uh-huh, but I'm doing everything exactly the way I should. It's not about perpetually like being hard on yourself or treating yourself like a project, but it's constantly taking responsibility for the way you show up, adjusting, tweaking, editing, and just being constantly kind of present. But I, I do get what you're saying. What if, and I love the nuance of what you're saying, because yeah. the reality is like, this is the pain of philosophy. It's like, it's like, yeah. if you just sit with the truth, then everything is okay. And then we should always say, but, mm -hmm. and like, and, and that's not always possible. And we're human. And so that's also not possible. Yeah. I, I love the dilemma of that. <laughs> I know. And, and sit with the truth. But at some point... If you can change your context, if you can yeah. evolve, heal, whatever, at what point can your truth change? And at what point is it your responsibility to change your truth? Mm. So that's an interesting one. It's like, it's not about complacency. It's not about, yeah, yeah I guess it's not about being docile. <laughs> no, it's not, yeah. it's not about like, surrender people use that word and sometimes that's a really positive but it's not about being like well that's the truth so now that means i have no say over my life and i am mm. just here and life is happening to me yeah. and i always want people to understand that life is for you and you have more control than you think mm -hmm. if life is happening to you that's like a positional issue with life yeah. and i think sometimes when we are like well it is what it is that's when we are like we're the victim to life and sometimes we are victim to situations and that needs to be taken very seriously but to life as a whole i think if we find ourselves in that mindset it's really helpful to sit and kind of try to reposition absolutely it, there's a huge difference between collapsing into life versus mm. like surfing the waves that are life i love that yeah i just came up with that on my own when I read it last night. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> oh my goodness. Oh God. Okay. Yeah. But I, because like, because you also do things like somatics and other, yeah. other avenues. And there's something about like 
change also does happen organically from making contact with yourself or making contact. Like if I'm really angry and mm. I am doing everything I can to suppress, repress, Mm-hmm. then I'm creating more suffering. But if I make contact with myself, if I'm with the truth of this anger, the way that the heat rises in my chest, the way that my muscles contract, there is some way that change organically emerges. It's like a returning back to the element of movement that is part mm-hmm. of nature by simply being with something. Absolutely. And I think something we can't ignore yeah. is the fact that Turning in is only possible if there's safety. Mm. And truth is only possible if there's safety. I don't know, as a clinician, there's times when maybe you catch something and you're like, oh, this is true. But the client is just not there yet. And your job is never to go shove the truth in their face because Mm. chances are that would be a really unsafe thing to do. Yeah. They will resent you for it. And even if they didn't resent you for it, it's just not going to land because it's not their truth. They didn't take possession of it. And I think it's important a lot of the time. It's like I, when I see the client resisting a truth that I think is probably there, I'm not going to be hubris and just be like, I'm right. But like, if I think there's resistance, I think I always go to safety. Do you think you have the structure of self that can with? hold and withstand this particular truth and so when i'm telling people like you know there's a lot of narratives of like go in and see your truth and whatever but if you're resisting i guess i just want listeners to know like that's you trying to protect yourself as well and that doesn't mean you just now stop it's about being like what skills and tools do i need in order to feel safe enough to address this truth yes yes i so appreciate that it's not just running into the wall (laughs) because that's what it feels like especially if we haven't yeah Yeah. but if you are dating someone Mm -hmm. then you can tell them the truth right regardless of because like that's okay right that's okay just shove it in their face and like just rub it in Totally. And then they should thank you for it. Cause I think mm. like that's what should happen, right? You should be mm. really lack all tactic. You should yeah. just be abrasive. You should shove the truth down their throat and yeah. then expect gratitude. And then oh. if it doesn't happen, you should feel upset about it. Yeah. And make a scene and like threaten leaving the relationship. I think that uh, would be like the <laughs> That's what your next book is on, right? That's I mean I yeah. mean Yes. <laughs> Hashtag goals. <laughs> <laughs> I really hope people understand the sarcasm. (laughs) Yeah, this is existential sarcasm, people. Yeah, this is existential sarcasm. Please don't do any of these things. But I think we're laughing about it, but that's because it's the reality of the human condition, right? Yeah, we're normalizing. Yeah, we're normalizing the human condition right now. Look at us. I was talking to a friend yesterday. I was texting because everything was going wrong in LA, and I said, "You know, comedians (laughs) should eat some humble pie." I said, "Nothing is as funny as reality." Uh, nothing, you know, like nothing is as funny as reality. You can try to think of whatever, but like yeah. the reality itself, life itself has some comical things to say and do. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's can you be a good audience to it? Ooh. Participation. Like Participation. it's like a, <laughs> it picks you and you're like, you come on stage. <laughs> That's so true. We are dropping the analogies and metaphor of existentialism. Woof. Woo! It is real. Speaking of, I heard you just wrote a book. 
I also mm-hmm. have your book. Yeah. Subtle. So, subtle. <laughs> All your transitions are so good. I like punching transitions as yeah. opposed to smooth transitions. No, I love it. I, I think you, they stand out that way. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I wrote a book. It's out. It's been out. My baby's been out for like a week and a week. two days. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's called you, It's On Me. It's, it is called It's On Me. And how are you? Yeah. You know, it's wild. I, yeah. I think you hear people talk about publishing a book and you really don't know what you're going to feel until it comes. And I think you write all these things and you pour your heart and soul into it. At least that's how I felt. Yeah. It's such a personal and exhausting experience and rewarding, but like it is a lot. And then I remember like a couple of days before it came out, I was like, the anxiety mm-hmm, <laughs> of it all mm-hmm. kind of hits you. Mm-hmm. And you're like, I was explaining, I was like, it feels like I'm about to go streak through Times Square, right? Like, cause you're like, this is like your bare soul. Like it's yeah. very strange and anyone and everyone can kind of make comments and, yeah. and you have no idea how it's going to land. And it's a really, really vulnerable thing to do. And I think it's a beautiful thing to do and be able to contribute that way if, if you like writing. But I definitely, I think all the feels hit me at once. I was excited. I was nervous. I was happy. I was proud. I was sad for some reason because I was anxious. Like it was just, it was a lot. And then when he came out, it all kind of went away. But I think it's like that going on stage feeling like Mm -hmm. seconds before we were like, (gasps) breathe deep. But I'm so proud of my book. I'm so excited. And the feedback I've received just from my community has been so positive that I'm like, I feel so happy and full and just so grateful for the opportunity that I'm like kind of riding a high right now. I am so happy for you. That's and congratulations. It's thank you. You birthed the shit out of a book. Oh my God. Seriously. (laughs) I mean, like, I don't know what it's like birthing an actual child. And I'm so impressed by all the people that do. That being said, birthing a book was a process and it was a long one and a painful yeah. one. And it's yes. it's really interesting. There is not enough Lamaze to even prepare you for that experience. No, <laughs> no I like I, yeah, <laughs> the two of us are just like cradling her books. books. Yeah. Come back, come back. Come back. <laughs> yeah. Don't sleep. Don't yeah. sleep. Yeah, it's a really intense process. And I, I'm excited to, we're going to dive into some of the content too, which I'm yeah. really excited about because it's deeply about relationship, but maybe not the one everyone jumps to. The, like when they think about relationship, mm. they often think about me and you or them. Yeah. And you're talking about one of the most significant relationships and starting from there and mm-hmm. the absence of that relationship, that sense mm-hmm. of being lost mm-hmm. yeah went, where are they <laughs> where, are <you? laughs> where are you hello 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 yeah no i i was really excited i think we have so many self-love self this self-actualization mm. self and i was like that's great but something that's been really true to me and something that i think so many of us experience and so many of us suffer as a consequence and we don't have the vocabulary around is self-loss yes I think understanding that you're lost is a really profound experience. I think it's also the perfect spot to begin creating yourself. I think the issue is that so many of us don't know that we're lost because, as you said, most of us don't know that that can happen. Mm. It's like, well, I'm me, so that's it. Yeah, that's it, right? (laughs) You know, that's it. And it's like, well, let's get a bit existential about this. (laughs) Please. (laughs) 
Yeah. And I think there's something interesting about having gone through it myself and then it's showing up in my master's research and my doctoral research. And it's just a theme of research for such a long time. And then something that I've lived in potentially because I lived it is why I notice it. And then you see it in your clients and you see it all around you. And I think it's like a very specific pain of observing or performing life. Mm without owning it without being it and i think it's like that realization of waking up one day and going who am i and how did i get here mm-hmm. it's like when you drive your car home and you're like thinking about something else you pull in the driver you're like oh okay how did i do that right and <laughs> and i think you know the way i i define it is like self loss is self estrangement or lack of alignment and it's Sometimes it's like your actions will not be aligned with who you perceive yourself to be. And that's a scary thing where you're like, I thought I was this kind of person. My actions are very clearly telling me that I'm not. Yeah. It's incredibly scary, disorienting, and it makes it difficult for you to live not just authentically, but to actually have meaningful relationships with other people. I'll stop talking there because I can talk about it forever. I want you to talk about it forever. <laughs> you had me at hello. <laughs> hello, existentialism. Yeah. <laughs> I want to kind of go back to like, it's a really scary thought. I think even as someone who's been doing self-work for a long time, I'm like, oh, am I here? Mm. And how do I know? Like, how would I know if I woke up today, if I wasn't the authentic me or if I was performing or living a life that is absent of me? Yeah, well said. I think something, we have two misconceptions about the self that I often see in popular psychology or medium, or they're not misconceptions. I want to correct myself. They're just different ways of viewing the self. So one is that you find yourself. The issue, yeah, (laughs) the issue with that is like, it means it's somehow constructed without you and it's been given to you. And then now you're just going through life trying to find it. Right. It's like going into your closet being like, there's that old sweater, putting it on and being like, now I die in it. Like, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's, there I am. And there I am. I'm like, an old sweater from 1984. Exactly. So it's, it's this like concept that you find, which I think is comforting to people, but I don't understand how it works unless you believe that something greater than you gave you a sense of self that now it's up to you to live up to. And I talk about the difference of essentialism and existentialism. That's kind of a general difference. And what I believe is that you create yourself. I also don't think there's a neutral self. So what I mean by that is when you make an action, I don't think it can ever be neutral. Either it's shaping the authentic self or the inauthentic self. Mm. It's why every single action is so ridiculously important and why existentialism is so exhausting. (laughs) 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 So, so, So like that's like the find, create. I think that's a really, really important distinction. Mm -hmm. The other, again, not misconception, but view perspective is that you can reach a point of self in solitude through your mind through your spirit alone Mm -hmm. so you can sit in a cave and be like this is who i am Mm -hmm. and what i believe is that you cannot construct yourself without self-expression which means Mm -hmm. through your action Mm -hmm. everything else is theoretical it's it's part of the equation but i think it's that like you see your action then you go okay the feedback is telling me that it does not align with how i perceive myself so either i have to tweak my perception 
or I need to change my actions. But there has to be a way for alignment. And I think we need to be a lot more aware and intentional about how we show up in the world because that is the only way to show yourself to you. So not just to others, but that is the act of showing who you are. Yeah. Did you know that? No. I'm just kidding. What? I'm just kidding. I'm so sad you didn't know. (laughs) Yeah. But now I'll say ask it anyway. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Did you know that when I was looking about six years ago, that the self was the most densely rich research in terms of the social psychologies? Like, there was more research on what is the self than mm. any other subject matter at that time. I did not know that. No. Like, what the fuck is the self was the name of most articles. But I think that's important. Like, yeah. even as psychologists, counselors, therapists, whatever, it's like someone comes into your room. Yeah. Are you seeing the problem? Are you seeing the symptoms? Mm. If you don't know how to identify or see the self, Mm. that's an interesting one, right? Yeah. And and I don't think as therapists, a lot of us are taught the theory of self. Yeah. And then also you need to understand that yourself is in the therapeutic process. Yes. So who is showing up? Who is the self? And we know that so much of the efficacy around therapy is the relationship itself. I, I don't know what it was. It's like 75 to 80% or whatever. It was like just a relationship. That's what makes it effective. In the dodo effect. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's just like, cool. And so yeah. I think the self is something the same. We're talking about like dating people. It's like, but they don't know who they are. You don't know who you are. How are these two people? Are they like, who is even interacting? Yeah. And so I think as a society, we've tried so hard to become more scientific and more mm-hmm. categorized. And I understand why. And I think that's a natural progression. But I think we lost the soul piece of humanity and of psychology to some extent in terms of like, we're still this amazing spirit soul body interaction and we it's still a piece of art like i see humans as a piece of art so for me it's always art and science Mm -hmm. meeting together Mm -hmm. not that people who are not in psych wanted to hear any of that but i feel very (laughs) passionate about it you can cut that out (laughs) never never I want to take a moment to give a loud shout out to the Embody Lab, which is one of the most incredible resources for body-based and somatic therapies. This show is all about healing, and the Embody Lab does exactly that. Whether you're on your own journey of transformation and discovery, or enhancing your skill sets in your career as like a coach or a therapist, a body worker, or really any career where you are supporting other gently used humans, the Embody Lab is your place for deep, inspiring, and impactful workshops, certificates, masterclasses, and an incredible community of like-minded folks. I love the Embody Lab, and so do so many other people that call it a platform to come home to over and over again. The Embody Lab is giving my listeners an exclusive offer, a one-time 10% off code to enhance your embodied well-being. All you have to do is go to theembodylab.com and use the code GENTLYUSE10 at checkout. So when we talk about 
I feel lost or I'm mm-hmm. some people might toss around or wear a t-shirt that says I'm going through an existential crisis. Mm-hmm. What's up? I have that t-shirt. Oh uh, my God, have, I want that t-shirt. Yeah, it's on our website. <laughs> we sell a lot of merch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't do that. Super important. You got to fund yeah. shit somehow. When we talk about like, I don't know who I am or the, we a lost self, is mm-hmm. it actually lost or veiled? Ooh, that's a really good question. And I think somewhat irrelevant. Let me tell you why. Yes. <laughs> Best answer ever. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that's the answer I was looking for. <laughs> the point is you have no access to it. Mm. Right? Yeah. You can call it estrangement. You can call it loss. You can call it veil. I think whatever floats your boat. I just think the point, though, I, I understand what you mean. You mean like it's there, but then that would go into the philosophy of finding. Yeah. If yeah. you believe it's already there and it's just veiled, yeah, then you would unveil it. But part of that is also that you are perpetually becoming. And who you are, you can't go in the moment and be like, this is who I am fully forever. You can go, this is who I am right in this moment. Mm. But there is so much of you to come that you're not grasping yet. So if you want to be like, oh, maybe there's a veil before like what you grasp. I like that. Like, let's let's like have a chat about it. <laughs> you know, when you're in New York, I'm so into it. But I, I think like the point is lost, I just think is a very experiential word. Yeah. Like when you're lost, when you're a kid and you're lost at a mall and you can't see your mom and dad or when you're driving and it's dark and you're lost and on a highway, like yeah. there's this feeling of disorientation and panic and threat to your existence. Yeah. I think this is why I chose the word lost. Yeah. Because it's like, well, besides some, you know, philosophy backing, but I just like, <laughs> but I just really liked it because it was like visceral. And I think it's a response we all had to yeah. an experience in our life at least once. Yeah. We know lost on some level and some of us know it. On this big, big level of going, yeah. who am I? I know. What am I? What am I? But energy, no. But I do, <laughs> I think. Problem solved. <laughs> problem solved. I think that what would be helpful for a lot of us is not to be scared of these questions. Mm. I think so many of us don't want to face the existential questions. They're not going to go away. And I think part of it is we haven't been taught that like, this is part of the human experience. You're going to have to be asking these really daunting questions. And the way you answer them is through the way you live your life. Mm. You know, you don't just sit there and necessarily dwell on it. You decide how you want to show up to answer that life's question. And I think if we made them a little less scary, mm-hmm. and existential just sounds scary in general. But oh, I yeah, think, it's such like, a big my, word with too many syllables. Too many syllables, too many dead philosophers. I get it. (laughs) But like, I think I also want to make it a lot more accessible so that we realize like, hey, this is just part of being human and it doesn't have to consume you, doesn't have to threaten you. It can actually inform you. And it's almost like a little check-in. That's what I write about in the book. Now when I have, and I have existential crisis still, which is, you know, but just for me, that's all I have to say. Now you feel better, right? (laughs) Now I feel so much better. No, but the pain of it, the genuine pain of it, the genuine fear that comes from it, I go, cool, this is my check-in with my own existence. Mm. And I'm so grateful for them because otherwise I would just be surviving and not existing. It's Mm. preventing me from doing that. 
such a beautiful reframe. Like an existential crisis is the telephone ringing to pick up and check in on yourself. A hundred percent. Ugh, so yummy. Keep going. What happens that, when that we pick it. up the phone? That's all I have. What do we do next? <laughs> we pick up the phone and then what? But then you answer it. And how do you answer a phone? By speaking, by your action. Mm. If you want to take the metaphor, it's like, yeah. okay, Sarah, maybe you don't know what you want to do next. Well, then you get to try a bunch of things. But you can't sit there and just be like, what do I do? What do I do? At some point, you just need to act it. And I have an example, a Julia Roberts example in my book. Let me call her and get her on the phone because this yeah, would be please. fun. Oh, my God. I wish. Do you know <laughs> Julia Roberts? You I like- can neither confirm nor deny. Continue. Okay. No, I don't. She's literally in every podcast. That's great. I hope he comes back. She's like, why is this girl obsessed with me? No, it's Julia Roberts and Runaway Bride. Have you watched it? Yeah, recently. In preparation for this call. Are you being funny? (laughs) Yeah, cool. Well, I didn't know it was in preparation for this call, but now now I realize. Do you want to tell the listeners what the movie's about? Do you want me to do it? You you do it. I mean, why don't we both do it? You start. Okay. Okay. okay, so then Ani DeFranco <laughs> comes on and sings this song and they all oh get on God. the table. No. Perfect. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, so Runaway Bride is about a woman played by Maggie, I think it's her name, played by Julia Roberts, who has the reputation of leaving men at the altar. Yeah. And a reporter gets a whiff of this. His job is in jeopardy, so he wants to write a good piece. So he drives down to her small town and starts to kind of follow her and interview her and all her partners. And one of the questions that he asked the partners is like, what are Maggie's favorite eggs? And one guy will be like boiled. The other guy will be like scrambled. The other guy will be like sunny side up. And then he'd be like, well, what are your preferred eggs? And the guy would be like, boiled, scrambled, Mm. sunny side up. And he's like, oh, so interesting. And you almost don't even notice it in the movie. I didn't at least to like this one scene where they're in a parking lot, the reporter and Maggie, and he's yelling. They're yelling at each other. And he goes, you're so lost. You don't even know what kind of eggs you like. And she goes... That's just called changing my mind. And he goes, no, that's called not having a mind of your own. (gasps) How dare he say that to Julia Roberts? How dare he say that? The truth. It was a truth slap, right? Yeah, that's what it was. But the most interesting part after that, so that's the phone ringing. Yeah. Right? That's the phone ringing. The interesting thing is what she does later on in the movie where there's a scene where she's in her house and she makes like, six different types of eggs and she's at her kitchen table sitting and trying them all for the first time for her trying to figure out what the eggs are and i know that's such a simple example but that's life Mm. like she had to go what works with me right now what do i prefer maybe she'll walk away be like i don't even like eggs (laughs) but like you know like she's like "Eh, i'm actually over this that was gross but I just love that example. And I think that's like when you pick up the phone and you go, something's not right. I think a lot of us have the assumption of like, and now you're just going to figure it out. Like you're going to know the answer and interact. And it's like life, a lot of it is trial and error. Mm. Like, of course, you need to understand who you perceive yourself to be and act accordingly. But that's going to shift and change with every interaction. And I think instead of putting so much pressure on ourselves, it's like start making those eggs, start tasting it, see where it takes you. Now That's I just want so eggs. Good. Now I want eggs too. I'll be back. Okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't there an egg on your book cover? I know there's not. I'm just. Oh fucking my god! With you. That would be 
so <laughs> deep. You know, I've thought about doing like an egg joke as my title, and that my publishers, rightly so, were like, absolutely not. <laughs> But, you know, when you're tired, you're like, I have a genius idea for my book. At, at first, I thought the mirror on your book was an egg. I won't lie. But I, I didn't have my glasses on. Most don't know what it is. Oh, well. No, on, <laughs> on the digital copy, it's almost impossible. And what I loved is people would buy it and be like, oh, my God, that's a mirror. And I was like, eh. and I think it's pretty, it's pretty clever if I may say so myself. <laughs> It's on me, and then there is a mirror, and yeah. showing you who you are. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. They, now, do they have any of the hardcover books that have, like, a foil over it so that, the, that it is actually a reflection? Yeah. Wait, oh, is you that, don't? I, wait, I have a digital I, copy. Is a hard oh, copy, like, I literally actually? was under my... <gasps> I Oh, my gosh. Y'all, it's reflective. Yeah, you can, like, roughly okay. see yourself. I mean, I... You see, can see your... Oh, you I, could... Mm-hmm. I, I, we could mm-hmm. do our lipstick in it. We can do our lipstick in it. I like we that it was under lips. my laptop. <laughs> but it's here. <laughs> you know, I realized I was getting my best friend's wedding and runaway bride mixed up. Like, I feel like in the oh, same way she should try all the eggs, we should try all the Julia Robert movies. <gasps> yes. Oh, that movie makes me cry every time. My best friend's wedding. Oh, really? Every that's time. that's the one where they get up on the table to the song karaoke. It's every morning I wake up. <gasps> oh yeah, but that's during brunch. That's during the brunch. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's the tearjerker for me. That's well. I mean, also the fact that she figures out she loves him and then oh. <laughs> too late. <laughs> <laughs> too late. <laughs> By the way, that <laughs> truth slap in the mm-hmm. in Runaway Bride. That's like kind of new, going back to like, oh, you sh- you shouldn't ever do that in relationships or should you? Here's an interesting example of that tension Ooh. point of going like that made a big difference in that person's life. It made a huge difference. The thing is, they I think obviously they were still building their relationship. And sure. I don't know what his intention was. Oh, we know what d- his intention. Oh, come on. <laughs> no, no, no. But I no, <laughs> He no, wanted no, no, a no. story. He wanted a bed. story. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes, but I don't know if it came from like a super loving space and yeah. I wouldn't say that was a great example. I think yeah, as in what to do. I think that was something we do. We were talking about the joke of it. He yeah. did it. That's did because it. that's what humans do. Yeah. And luckily for her, at some point she used it yeah. to her benefit. Yeah. She used the truth. She figured out. I care enough to find out, and that's mm. so nice. Mm-hmm. I think that could have just been him yelling, her doubling down, and that's it. Mm. So this is like a best-case scenario. Yeah. Do I think everyone will respond no? But do I think that sometimes people do need tough love? Yeah. Do I think you should be yelling at someone in a parking lot? No. Yeah, maybe. No, no. May, maybe. Maybe. May, okay, yes. <laughs> may, no. I mean, or we could reframe it and say he offered a reflection, like the one on your book. Oh, he did, but mine doesn't hurt. <laughs> well, actually. I don't know. I don't know. It, yeah, it that's might. true. When you look at yourself. <laughs> I jumped mine, back. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's true. You know, I think he showed her. I think that reflection piece is actually so interesting. You talk yeah. about like self-expression. You see yourself, then you can reflect back. But I yeah. think another thing is that we can't create ourselves in isolation. We're mm. social beings. We need other people to reflect back to us what we see. Now, what they see. Now, the danger of that is if someone is not reflecting back accurately, meaning they're projecting 
they're imposing, they're doing all the things. And what they're not doing and what they don't want to do or don't have the capacity to do is to go, this is how I'm experiencing you. This is how I see you. Because there's so much stuff. But if someone can do this to you, even if it's uncomfortable, how powerful they see you for who you are. I don't know if you've ever had that moment where someone really gets you and they see you exactly how you see yourself. Oh, Oh. chills, chills. Like there's nothing greater than that. Chills and stabs, chills and stabs. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean... (laughs) That, that mm-hmm. it, it's a mixed bag. It feels a, a lot of things. And to your point, the way that I know I'm funny is if you laugh at my jokes. Mm-hmm. Like it's in that interaction that then I internalize the response and it helps formulate my sense of self. It's not, self yeah. doesn't happen in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. And it and it's changing. Like then, then you know, next person doesn't laugh at my joke. And then it it challenges that I sense of self. Of course it challenges. This is such a great example. Like if, I mean, I have like the super sort of common example, but let's say you go to a party and you're like, I'm feeling myself. I look good. I'm wearing a sleek Mm. turtleneck Mm. and Mm. leather pants, (laughs) which I'm a hundred percent not right now, but like, let's say. You're wearing a turtleneck. Yeah, I am. And I'm just going to say you're wearing leather pants. So go on. It's (laughs) working. I'm wearing leather pants in my life, but it's working. Like (laughs) you're, you're just feeling yourself. You're going out. And you show up to a party and everyone is like staring, like, like giving you a glance. People are chuckling. People are like whispering. You're like, what's wrong? You look down. You're like, everything fits. My clothes are still on. It's not the naked dream, you know? Then you go to the bathroom and you're like, look in a mirror and you're like, I'm still seeing myself looking good. Like, I don't understand. There's a woman washing her hands and she's kind of staring you up and down and you gather the courage and you go, I'm sorry. Can you please explain to me what you're seeing? Yeah. And she goes, you're wearing a clown suit to a function. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like, what do you do with that? That is how that feels. Where You're like, well, this is like, it's that kind of discount. But that we get that all the time where you're like, I'm presenting this way. I'm showing up. And, you know, we have to be humble enough to sometimes realize that we're off, that we're not seeing Mm -hmm. ourselves the way that we're acting, like we're denying our own actions and expressions. But then there is sometimes where we're surrounded by people that constantly refuse to see us or impose on us. And as you said, it's so challenging Mm -hmm. and it can be really damaging to your sense of self. And it's why it's so, so important who you decide to spend your time with. Yes. Also, I love that you brought back the clown from earlier who has the hard job of telling- I was answering your telling, question. Yeah. <laughs> Which question? <laughs> what is existentialism or the, yeah, no. the hardest job what in the world? What is the crown? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah the, clown. the clown who yeah. has to tell kids that they're mortal and that death is inescapable. Exactly. Imagine if a clown Tough did that. Tough <laughs> job. But I mean, if he's popping balloons, that's what he's doing. He's going, look at my shape shifting. Yes. Yes. Transformation. Look, the popping. Popping. It all ends. That's, and that is the <laughs> and metaphor of life. It's here and then it's gone. And it just returns back to air, energy. Energy. And it's fascinating that clown never presents themselves, right? Well, what do you mean? A clown is hiding behind a clown suit. There is no authenticity. That's why it's so fascinating that a clown would be saying that. It's like there's a perpetual oh. mask. They are 
who others want them to be. There is no vulnerability in that sense of like, this is who I am. It's I am who you're paying me or wanting me to be in this moment. It's very fascinating. They're performing life. They're performing life and others are observing life and no one's living life. (laughs) I want to live that life. I want to live that life. (laughs) Bring it on. (laughs) I think I have a sense of how you might answer this, which I'm excited about. (laughs) Do you think living life is less painful than performing life? Yes. Oh, that's not how I thought you'd answer it. I thought you would say it doesn't matter. And then... What matters in life? What I mean, it's the matter? most existential thing where I'm like, nothing matters, obviously. No. <laughs> You're really getting me pre-coffee, pre-breakfast, no sleep. This is I'm, great. I'm so into this. Yeah, good. So I think at some point, performing life becomes life-threatening. I think mm. for a while, we're like, oh, it, it's easier. It's not as painful, so I'm just going to do it. And then there's a moment where like, The consequences of that, I think, are more painful. Mm -hmm. I think that although living life authentically is difficult, there's something very delicious about the Mm. fact that it's yours. Mm. That was my mistake. That was my action. Mm. That was my lesson. Mm. And it's almost like learning to change your relationship to pain Mm -hmm. and being okay with the pain and understanding that pain is part of life. I'm not saying go seek out pain. Don't worry. It will find you. You do not need to (laughs) seek it out. (laughs) This is the truth of life. This is the truth of life. But like, I do think that I was in a lot more pain when I was performing life. Mm. How do you, in in retroflection? In (laughs) retroflection. (laughs) Can we coin that? (laughs) Retroflection. And retrospect. (laughs) Yeah, beautiful. Uh, How do you recognize that that level of pain versus the one of like living life? Yeah, so I start the book where I'm in my mid-20s realizing that I hate my life. I hate myself. I mean, I was completely lost. But I I think then it's like, you don't know what you don't know. I didn't know Mm -hmm. there was another way to exist. So Mm -hmm. I was like, this is just existence. This is just the way it has to be. And now I look back and I see like how much suffering and how much energy goes into being who you're not and living the life that you do not want to have. It's like working against your most inner essence and soul. That is a lot of work and that is quite painful. And we all tend to just do it. But I think part of it is not understanding the freedom and the choice, super existential, and the responsibility that we have to not live that way. Mm. And I don't think I realized in working against yourself is some of the hardest work you'll ever do. Uh... I just want to hang out with you more. I know. I mean, we're already doing the Times Square thing. We're We're going to get arrested. For those who are listening, Sarah and I are streaking through Times Square on Friday. (laughs) I'm I'm going to tell you a story offline about actually doing that as a freshman in college. Oh, wow. Okay. I can't wait. We're not actually doing that. We're not actually. We're not actually. Metaphorically doing it. Metaphorically. I am no longer 18. Freshman in college at, you know. Neither am I. (laughs) So we can't get away with things like the old school New York days. Imagine, so Doctor Who and Doctor Who, you guys are. (laughs) That that police report would be grand. (laughs) Such good press. (laughs) Yes. Oh, my God. Imagine. Yeah. Perfect. We would be writing our columns from jail. (laughs) We, yeah. 
Oh my God, imagine. I can imagine. I, I remember a certain someone who did that and did quite well. Oh, oh. I really don't want to find out. Like, I really, that is not a life experience I want to be having. It does not feel authentic. It does not feel write, authentic. Wow. I will write from Manhattan. How about that? Mm, I, <laughs> I, I appreciate that. Yeah. I appreciate mm-hmm. that. This show is also brought to you by the absolutely stunning and powerful tools for transformation that are created by Omala. Even the name Omala transports you to a place of flow and vitality. These are some of my favorite products ever, like an amazing color-changing yoga mat that responds to your temperature and presence and reflects back your posture in real time. They have this incredible smelling skin balm candle that heats up to activate all the essential oils and vitamins that your skin has been craving for. I mean, look, if I could live in a giant bath of this candle, I would 100% do it. They also have these journals that lead you into a profound insight, and then you can plant those journals to create a stunning flower garden. I mean, damn. If that's not both deep and inventive, I don't know what is. If you're someone who desires to live in a luxurious flow of life and who believes in transformative wellness, then you have to check out Omala. Omala is giving my listeners an exclusive discount to treat yourself to something that is as special as you, boo. All you have to do is go to omala.com, that's O-M-A-L-A.com. Use the discount code DRSCOTT10 at checkout. And a portion of every purchase goes to an incredible charity. You got this. Authenticity. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I want to punch that word in the face. Ugh, gross. Yeah. Uh, So, so super... (laughs) Yuck! Ew! Yuck. Ew. <laughs> we'll add more, even more sound effects yeah, in post-production. I'm just like, bleh. I'm just like bleh, bleh. <laughs> Perfect. I can't wait to listen to this podcast. This chaos in the best form. It's, it's great. Because I'm like, okay, it's like the word self. It's like the yeah. like many words, authenticity, where it's like, just be authentic. Just be you. Okay, so I think the issue is that people are using words they don't know how to use. (laughs) Like, you know, like, it's just become so mainstream that do people know that the word authenticity stems from Heidegger? Like, he's the one that really talked about it. They do now. No, but, you know, it's like we water down, misuse, and, like, words all the time. And psych words particularly because – yeah. If yeah, someone yeah. mistreats you, they're a narcissist. You know, like it's like, well, yeah. maybe they're not. And there are some. And by the way, those who have actually dealt with narcissists have had such a profoundly painful experience yeah. that I think it's disrespectful to them yeah. when everyone is throwing around that word. And I think, uh, yeah, authenticity has become <laughs> one of them. No, like, I, first of all, I just it's appreciate It's become selfish. That. Yeah. It's become Ooh. like, I do what I want. So that's authentic. Yes. Mm. No. No. One eighty. One This show is just going to be a bunch of sound effects. <laughs> We're like. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> We're the existential choir. You can find us in Times Square on Thursdays yeah. and Saturdays. And, and Saturdays. <laughs> Horrifying, but no. So I think what authenticity began to mean for a lot of people was 
self-indulgence. It's like, I want to do this, so it must be authentic, or I'm going to prioritize myself, so it must be authentic. Mm. And there's just a really fine line, or I can do whatever I want and justify it with authenticity. I don't know if you've ever heard someone say something really savage, Mm. and then be like, I'm just being authentic. Mm, yeah and not and you have often, never said that i've never said that yeah last <laughs> night i did not say that three times i did not say that <laughs> yeah. twice it was not me twice <laughs> yeah but i think what is happening yeah. is people are using the word authentic to avoid responsibility Ugh. go on while the definition of authentic yeah. is ownership <gasps> is your mind blown oh <gasps> Cue more side effects. No side effects. (laughs) Cue more sound effects and side effects. What are the side of? I'm gonna cover. I'm gonna cover. What are the side effects of ownership? Exactly. Oneself. Fulfillment. Happiness. No. (laughs) And so, like, you know, I'm watching this, and I'm like, Mm -hmm. we have like that's a 180. We're using it. As a way to avoid something, but in its pure form, that's what it means. And to be authentic is to mean ownership of yourself, of your actions, of the way you impact the world. So we have <gasps> been using authenticity as a form of avoidance of ourself. I think so. A lot of people. Holy shit. It's crazy. That is an existential punch <laughs> in the face. It's not a slap. It's not a truth slap. It's, not a, slap. it's a punch. That's, that is a full fucking punch. That's like you throwing your book at my face. And I mean, then, when you come, we can make that. <laughs> we can make that Friday, happen. tomorrow. Yes. Just, Tune into our choir where we kidding. just slap each other. We do not. There is no violence. Sarah is not threatening to. Oh, anyone <laughs> who's ever listened to this knows that yeah. nothing, I, nothing is <laughs> true. We're just funny. We're just so funny. We're just just breaking shit down for your enjoyment. Mm -hmm. So, wow. Wow, wow, wow. Okay. Then how do I actually know I am in that true form of authenticity, of ownership, of really being with what is here and taking responsibility for it? Yeah. I mean, I obviously talk more about authenticity and that sensation, but the one, it's like a coming home I like mm-hmm. that phrase. I like mm-hmm. the reaching the depth within yourself is another mm-hmm. one. It's like reaching that bottom, like mm-hmm. reaching the depth and being able to stand for a minute. Yeah. I think something about ownership is can you stand behind your decisions is a really simple mm-hmm. way to look at it. It's like you made that decision. Do you stand behind it? Mm-hmm. And I think if we thought that way about every single thing we did, we'd have a very different society. Mm-hmm. We would have a very different sense of self. And I forget what your question was, but that's in the form. I said in the, things <laughs> <laughs> in the true words of existentialism. It doesn't yeah. matter what my question it was. It doesn't matter what your question is. Perfect. I gave you an answer. I don't care what the question was. <laughs> it's know, like media training. They're like, just answer what you want to answer. <laughs> this was not that. This was just me literally like spacing out. <laughs> yeah. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. You know, I used to, and I still do, this sort of practice with clients. I use a gesture of my hand going up and down the verticalness of my body. Mm-hmm. And I call it the truism. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm hearing something, I use that gesture and I say, let's check in. Is this a truism? Does it tr- resonate? 
as real in your body? Is there a visceral response? Is there mm, something that has that. heat and texture and feeling that is present? Or is it a narrative that floats around you? I love that. Yeah. The feeling right, the feeling yeah. home, the feeling yeah. of like your own inner self. I yeah. love that. I think that's important. And if it's just floating in your mind, is yeah. it authentic? That's such a genius way to check that. Yeah. And it, it's been Thanks so- for contributing to the conversation. I think like it was about time and like you said something like that. <laughs> <laughs> that's an asshole. <laughs> and when we say asshole, when we call each no, other asshole, yeah, that's our nickname no. in each other's yeah. phone. <laughs> Existential <laughs> asshole. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm totally joking. I just thought it was what I actually really liked it. I love that so much. Please joke. I mean okay. look, all of this stuff is so intense. So intense. So intense. And if we don't find play to meet the intensity of life, then we're actually not in the full spectrum of life itself. I agree. Asshole to profound. We've done it all. <laughs> that is the name of our next Broadway show. <laughs> yeah. You know, we would do well. I, we I believe do. in us. I think. I, you know. <laughs> I believe in us too. Who is we? Who is oh. we? Ooh, we have to define that. <laughs> We have to construct it. We have to. Oh. Uh, yeah. I'm so excited <laughs> for all the, the sound effects that we will record from, like take snippets from this and actually make into a song later. Is this visual too? <laughs> Do you mean is it video recorded? Yeah. 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 yeah every time Good. you pick your nose, they can see yeah, you. Yeah, like, okay, cool. Every time you're reaching for yourself up there, they can see yeah. you. <laughs> every time I'm like reading an answer for my book. Like, <laughs> subtle. Oh my gosh, yeah. wouldn't that be nice if podcasts were just like radio where there's no visual and we could... Like how like, it used to be? Yeah, and we could look at our notes for things like yeah. studies we actually can't remember. Like oh. now we have to just make up studies on the spot as opposed to remember <laughs> them. <laughs> or we can just say, I don't know. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> but who does that? Yeah, I mean, who does that? <laughs> Lame. <laughs> that reminds me, when I was in college, I was having an existential crisis mm -hmm. and... I was walking around. I'd just gone and done an intensive summer of meditation. That's all I did the whole summer. <laughs> <laughs> and it was okay. it was great. I wanted to get to know me. Mm -hmm. And I was in college and I was like in a, in a meditation class back in New York. And I was so rigid. I was holding myself together. And the teacher came over and they're like, what if this wasn't all of you? Like yeah. the part of me that I was like, I'm a meditator. I hold myself tight. I'm, I, my spine is erect. Mm. I breathe in this way. And like I had been performing a meditator. So powerful. No, that yeah. I think we all have that version. We yeah. all have a role we take on as an identity. Yeah. And it's so limiting. And although maybe part of it feels really authentic, yeah. it is not all you are. Yeah. You're so vast. You're so beautiful. You're so complex. And I think whenever we feel like one thing is defining us, we should expand. I think mm. we should understand that like we're limiting ourselves. We might not feel very authentic, not because that one thing we're doing is not something we like. Yeah. It's like being a new parent. It's like wonderful. You might be so happy you're a mother or a father, but at some point you're, you might get lost in it. 
And so I think it's just, it's such a wonderful thing you brought up in terms of like, you're more than one thing. And if you see yourself as one thing, start looking, start creating, start shifting, start expanding. Yeah. That's such great advice. And I will do that now. <laughs> Me too. I mean, like, like Sarah. <laughs> well, I mean, I know we're playing around, but I think like this is the beauty of true, of the work that you do and you offer into this world is like you ask yourself the tough questions you interface mm. with the tough reflection of who and how you are and take ownership and recognize choice and it's not like you win a trophy no because in the next <laughs> oh, month can you the- get me one of that course i can so- babes <laughs> can of course i can <laughs> that'd be really sweet or like a medal like yeah, you did it this time you and did next it this time <laughs> It's you on you, it for, yeah. and you did it this time. For a second, you nailed it. <laughs> you did life yeah. in yeah. this moment. In this <laughs> moment, yeah. And then you get a trophy next week that says, you did it again. I mean, Ish. I'm so down. I'm so down. Ish. <laughs> Let's not get ahead of ourselves. You kind of did ish. <laughs> you did ish. You did ish life. Yeah, you did ish life. Merch? And, oh, yeah. Merch, merch, yeah. merch, merch. Yeah. Yeah, I just really appreciate it. It's like, we're not authentic, period. We're not the mm. self, period. It's like mm. we are an emergent experience. We are emergence. We are becoming. We are becoming. Like the act of becoming, we're fluid. Yeah. Like I, I think a lot of us want to see ourselves as a rock rather than water. We think mm. it's stronger. But think about the fact that water erodes rock. Rock shot. No, seriously. Like I think about it every day. Every day. So I want to be a rock. No, I'm just kidding. But like, (laughs) but I think like it's not a profound thought. But it's like a think about the fact that like rock shattered. Water is fucking. Sorry. Ooh. Am I allowed? Oh oh my god. You cannot say fucking on this show. (laughs) Fuck. Somebody bleep those fucks. (laughs) Okay. This is the most ridiculous morning I've had in a really long time, and I want to thank you for it. Considering where you went to college, I, was, I wasn't I was sure if we were going to drop the F-bombs today. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, it's horrible. It just comes out. But I was trying to, like, I was trying to really be proper. Water's That's where we were. Fuck. Fucking water. Is so strong. No, I just think we always think things are evolving and changing and fluid. Yeah. Don't have power. Mm. And your power isn't the fact that you're always evolving, changing, and flowing. And I think it's just that reframe is so important. And they can just think about the fact we said fuck about 50 times to help them remember that. Yes. <laughs> Whatever we use to help. Mono- what's the word? Mnemonic devices? Yeah, I'm not going to try that. Uh, yeah. That's a tough word. <laughs> it's a tough word. I'm always like... Mnemonic? Mnemonic? Yeah, that's what I used. Yeah. For people whose English... When English is not your first language, that's a hard word. And It's a hard word. It's a really tough word. Wait, English is not your first language? Well, I just didn't speak till I was five. I just danced. That's, That's actually so true. much cooler. That is dance was your first language. Okay. <laughs> okay, Broadway, we hear you. <laughs> you should totally go and be like, um, I danced till I was five. That's a way to express myself. That's really cool. Well, yeah, I could make sounds, but I couldn't really form sentences wow. and stuff. And so like I gestured a lot and I moved a lot and I like, cried a lot. <laughs> wow. 
that's really interesting. How old were you when you learned? Because you learned English. Yeah. So yeah. no, it's not my first language. You're I like know it's treading not your so first carefully. Language. You're like Wait. I wasn't treading. I was the, I was treading on how to form the sentence. Oh yeah. So <laughs> Wait, fair. You, well, uh, uh, yeah. So I moved to Canada. Just kidding, Canada. I like to call it Canadian. People think I'm I call Canadian too. Yeah. Oh, cute. So I moved, yeah, I moved to Canada when I was around nine, nine and a half. Yeah. And so that was my immersion to the. Yeah, it was a weird experience not speaking the language. Like, it's a, it's strange just being flopped in. Luckily, I was a child, so I was still in the developmental phase where I can kind of absorb languages. And yeah. I remember going to a summer camp. I think we arrived to Canada in January. In June, I went to a summer camp, a Broadway summer camp. Of musical. course, yeah. yeah. Mm. I did used to dance, not like well, but oh. anyways, NSYNC, but not well. Uh, so, so maybe this is not the best. And I had a little cue card and someone wrote out like, I don't understand English. And then I would like know how to say it. So if someone spoke to me, uh. I can be like, I'm sorry, I don't speak English or I, I don't understand what you're saying or whatever. And that I remember like having that thing so I can kind of communicate that to them. And I just had the nicest people around you. And to be honest, I'm not really sure when it kind of started clicking in because yeah. as a child, it's just kind of all there, but yeah. it's fascinating. So yeah, that's how it started. How significant was your unique childhood trajectory and life experience to who you and how you have become. Yeah. You know, very. Freud's annoying. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I think my life could have gone in a very different direction. Yeah. I'm very proud that he didn't. Yeah. And I take ownership of that. Yeah. But do I think that my propensity towards these existential questions stems from the fact I lived through two wars by the age of nine? Yeah, I do. Do I think that I started reading... Dostoevsky when I was like 13 and he resonated more than anything else people were reading like gossip girl books or whatever you know like what I mean it's like no and that's not and yeah, I'm so glad yeah. that that is what resonated with them like I'm yeah. genuinely like good I'm so glad that these are like the boys the shopping the things yeah. were at the forefront but I think I had a lot of confusion and anger and sadness and I didn't know what to do with it and I didn't know why I was there and you know I talk about the fact that Everyone in my family survived the same things. And even when we moved, we were kind of in a similar community with people who have also been through it or had family members that went through it. And we normalized the trauma to the point that I didn't realize it was traumatic for me. Mm. The issue for that is that then I didn't take it seriously and see how it was impacting me. I was like, this is just normal part of life. Everyone's been in bomb shelter. Like, it's just, I knew that wasn't true. But I, for me, it was just so normalized that I didn't realize that it would have an impact on who I was. Mm. And so I think I went into self-preservation at such a young age that self-awareness, self-exploration, self-expression were not a thing. And I think it's why in my 20s, when I finally snapped, <laughs> when I finally kind of had this moment is I realized that everything I've done since was performative. It was for safety. It was for belonging. It was for being the child that you think your parents need you to be. They've gone through so much. So, you know, you go one or two ways usually when it's like you rebel or you're like, I'm going to be the perfect, like, and that's generalizations, but I think we see that often. And so I think a lot of my life was informed by that 
or not informed, driven by that Mm -hmm. until my 20s when I had this moment. And then after, since then, it's been informed. Mm -hmm. But I think those existential questions really like going into existentialism, which is not what I started off with, was like coming home to myself because Mm -hmm. those themes made such sense to me from Mm -hmm. a young age Mm -hmm. that probably one of the reasons I practice from it is the early childhood experiences and just being surrounded by a culture that is so written in pain and a lot of historical trauma that like these are things that we are more comfortable exploring and death is a concept that's on people's minds and is there freedom literal and figurative so i i think it's just a lot of that informed my work that's a really long answer it was a great it was a very powerful answer thanks i mean when i think about when i just hear and you talk about like living through two wars like spending aspects of your childhood in a bomb shelter Mm. and facing death Mm. like facing the questions of life in such a way that most of us may not like yeah i had Mm -hmm. a grandparent that died when i was Mm. young versus Mm -hmm. like having to be see it yeah it's it's different it's not that you have to have that to have an existential or be lost but And I think death is death, you know, like, I think if you see a loved one die, like I was fortunate enough that I actually didn't have anyone I know die. Mm -hmm. I was constantly scared that my parents would die because my dad was in a different city and that city was being bombed. And every day you're like, will my parents come home when they're going to go get us the ration food that we can gather at the start? You know, like, it's just like there was constant perpetual fear of death. But I was one of those super fortunate ones that didn't have to experience it firsthand. And so I never like, Mm. I never like comparing sufferings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No trauma Olympics. You were not doing that. You were not doing that. But what I mean for the listener, it's like, don't ever do that because there's a lot of people who didn't live through wars who lived through some horrendous things in America, you know, like, and so it's about the impact. And sometimes they talk about how my 20s were almost more traumatic than my childhood because of my participation. Mm. because I realized like I was hurting myself and that was a harder thing to reconcile than being a victim to a situation when you're a child. Yeah. So it's all kind of relative. It is. I thank you for normalizing that too. Mm. I I think that I have seen it happen where we get into the trauma Olympics and we are in this place of comparing and despairing as a means of trying to rise above other noise or other sharings and be seen and heard. And it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. Yeah. But it's also like your pain is so valid. I never want someone to feel like their pain is not valid because it's not quote unquote as bad as someone else's. And that's not how humanity works. It's how you experience something regardless how big or small. And their pain does not detract from yours. Like you're allowed to have your own reality where you're in pain, even if theirs looks different or more severe in your in your mind. And I think so many people hide their pain, silence their pain, don't talk about their pain because they're comparing. And I think they're trying to be considerate or are embarrassed that this really, you know, if you had a really traumatic breakup or a really intense breakup, and I know people are like, oh, but it happened like five years ago. And you can tell that they feel ashamed by the fact that they're holding it. And I'm like, but this is so painful for you. Mm. Let's really acknowledge the pain here. You don't need to be ashamed about the fact you're still hung up on your ex from five years. There is no 
deadline to greet. There's no timeline. Do you know? And so I just think we really need to accept all shapes of suffering and acknowledge and validate them all. And yeah, I, I mean, yeah. Yeah. The disclaimer here is let's use appropriate words mm-hmm. because if you went through something sad and you're still holding on to that suffering and then someone has PTSD, let's not call your sadness PTSD if it's not actual PTSD. This is where we have to like distinguish the sufferings mm-hmm. by using appropriate words yeah. and honoring people who have experiences that are in the DSM. Yeah. And this is also just something from neurolinguistics too, of taking a sensation and placing a large, intense label on it. Mm. The language, it actually amplifies, intensifies the sensation. And it is a form of self-abandonment. Yeah. And so like Mm. finding the right language, which is not easy. Nope. Because we have more sensations, qualities of sensations than we have words to describe them. Ooh, so good. I mean, yes. This is why if you keep using, I sometimes I'll have a client use a word. Yeah. We're just not going anywhere. Like, I'm just like, this, yeah. something is not, then I'll be like, let's challenge the word. Let's challenge yeah. the feeling you think you're experiencing. Yeah. Let's see, is there another feeling that might be more appropriate, more yeah. accurate? And yeah. the second they have the right feeling, mm-hmm. they have a breakthrough. Huge. Huge. And I think that was the thing with self-loss as well is like, I wanted to offer new vocabulary Mm. and it's not a diagnosis. It's not a DSM. It's not a pathology at all, but it's Mm -hmm. like, let's have a word that we can use that can help us understand ourselves more and then can help us understand each other. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. And I use the word right fit, right feeling, right Mm. fit. And sometimes as a practice, we'll read off the word or I'll have them read off different, like a list of feelings and say, what is the truism here? Love it. As opposed to the narrative concept of the feeling they might be having. Oh, Mm. it's not sadness. It's despair. And when you have that deep validation, that deep contact and validation, it moves. Mm. Something organically changes and transforms. Absolutely. That's a great exercise. Speaking of exercises, you re- <laughs> are you ready for our existential game as oh a way God. for us to yeah. land? Yes, let's okay. land. So this is actually a practice. and I, I thought I'd offer it on the podcast for people to do at home, but yeah. you and I are going to vulnerably do it together. <gasps> oh, I'm scared. Okay. It's not a big deal. Okay. It's the biggest deal. <laughs> so this is a somatic existential practice I do. So I'm going to say something. Mm -hmm. It's a question. I'm going to ask a question. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to invite you to let it land in your body, Mm -hmm. kind of like a pebble dropping into a pond. Mm -hmm. You know, let it resonate. And then see whatever images, sensation, words, unfiltered emerge. I do this with my clients. Okay, I love it. And then we're just going to share that. So there's five questions. Ooh, okay, do you want me to give answers at the end of them? No. Well, each one. Each one. Okay. Each one. I'm ready. Okay. Are you ready, sir? Yeah, I'm going to close my eyes. Is that okay? okay. Yeah, please. Mm-hmm. Okay. Where are you? Where are you? Hmm. Heart. Hmm. When are you? When are you? 
Oh, so interesting. Do you want like sensations? Yeah, sensations or words or images. Yeah. I'm very, I'm feeling very somatic today. So I'm going in with somatic hands. Hands. Yeah. Yeah. Is is there more that wants to be shared as part of hands? When, when are you? When. It feels very relational. Hmm. When you said that, I just imagine like a crowd of people. Hmm. When am I? When are you? Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Next question. How are you? First thing that comes up is streaking through Times Square. <laughs> yes! How are you? I'm streaking through Times Square. Is there words or feelings that yeah. come with this, the image of streaking through Times Square? I think I feel empowered and mm. overwhelmed. I think mm. it's like that tension, and I think it's a healthy tension. Mm-hmm. But I think when you have so much going on, there is that sense of like, yeah! But with that sense of like, being on top of the world or streaking or whatever also comes the overwhelm of how much is going on, how much you're responsible for, how much you're trying to hold. And it's really maybe I wonder if my hands are also connected to like mm-hmm. trying to hold so much at mm. once. Mm. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. As you hear that, mm-hmm. does it feel like that truism? That resonates. A hundred percent. It's like, it's so straight through my body. Ah, mm. I'm happy for you. Like, I wouldn't that Thank alignment you. happen. It feels so good. <laughs> you ready for the last two questions? Yes. Who are you? Hmm. I just feel such content. Like, mm. there's just like such a rightness, like that just washed. And I felt it from my head down to my toes. Mm hmm. And I think the answer was like a very deep knowing of like me, but that voice was very much mine. Mm. It was very just like, you are this moment. Mm. You are you. And it was really beautiful. I didn't have a a crisis after you asked me that. (laughs) This was great. I love that. I love that. Sometimes we need a question to see who we are in this moment. And I'm not... In crisis this moment. I'm not in crisis. I'm in a really really good spot right Mm, now. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. And our last question. Why are you? Ooh, that was interesting. I think there was just so much energy. Mm. I just felt like, and I, I think for me, when I'm doing this and thinking about energy, I'm thinking of like creating energy and creating Things And when I think about why, for me, a lot of it is my work, mm-hmm. I just get such a deep sense of meaning in the way I hopefully contribute, in the way that I create, in the way that I express. And so I think I, you just feel like that jolt of something, movement, mm. is the why. Mm. Beautiful. Thank you for diving into that and being so vulnerable and open. Of course. You didn't give me a choice. <laughs> Consent. What's that? Consent. <laughs> no, my pleasure. Uh, thank you so much for being thank here. Thank you so I, much. I am so, so fun. So fun. Thank you for putting your work out into the world. And I can't wait for the moment to hear you talk about the moment where you have all the space and time in the world to feel the resonance of what you've done in this world. Mm. Thank Just so even much. from this book alone. Please go check out, buy 
rent, steal the book, it's on you. <laughs> And then take responsibility for however you got it. Yeah, my publisher won't love that. But if you can (laughs) borrow or buy, that would be great. (laughs) Yeah. And where can people find more about you? Sure. So my website, Sarah Kubrick. Then you can also Instagram is my primary sort of platform. That's amillennial.therapist or just look up Dr. Sarah Kubrick and buy my book. Anywhere it's sold, it's on me. And then I am, I did start and I'm starting a sub stack that's more existential. So it's longer form content on a weekly basis where I'll be unpacking some of the existential theory if you are at all interested. I love that I just said it's on you when I meant to say it's on me for oh, your book. Oh, I know. And that's why I was like, and it's on me because, because people are going to type in it's on you and something else is going to come up. <laughs> I think I said the title everyone wishes it was. <laughs> yeah, I've toyed with that, by the way. And then I was like, but that is not the message. That is not the message. <laughs> it's on me. It's on me. It's on me. Like it's, a t-shirt is on me. If that helps you remember. Totally. Whatever it is that helps you remember, go get it's on me. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you for you listening. Thank you so much. Thank Take you, love. Care. Thank you for listening to the Gently Used Human podcast with Dr. Scott Lyons and friends. Visit GentlyUsed.com for fun extras, including submitting your questions for advice from a Midwestern mom. And don't forget to spill the tea and gossip about the show with all your friends and frenemies. And show some love by giving us five stars and leaving a review in your favorite apps. This helps us connect with all the other gently used humans out there. Oh, and by the way, you look fierce today.